Assalamu alaikum everybody and welcome to our newest episode of Muslima Podcast. I'm Asma, your host, and I'm so excited to have our guest speaker today, Sister Susie Ismail. Sister Susie is the founding director of Cornerstone, which is a nonprofit faith-based communication intervention organization with several locations around the world. Cornerstone focuses on youth, family, marriage, identity, socio-emotional wellness, and relationship rebuilding. Sister Susie is also a professor at Rutgers University and an author of several books, including Modern Muslim Marriage and When Muslim Marriage Fails. She's also a public speaker um, and engages in public speaking all around the world, including topics such as communication, family, marriage. Um, she is also a licensed counselor, and honestly, I am so excited to hear from her. Uh, how are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. It's nice to hear from you, Asma. <laughs> um, so as you guys all know, Sister Susie is uh, a really accomplished Muslimah. She is doing really well in her career and is also an Islamic speaker and has a family of her own. So when I talked to Sister Susie, I was like, I don't know what I should ask you questions about. You know, you're so accomplished. And, you know, she was like, well, why don't we talk about balance? You know, balancing the different things in your life. Um, and using your time wisely to achieve the things that you want in dunya and akhirah. And I thought that was so beautiful. So that's what we're going to be talking to, uh, about today, balance. So inshallah, um, I'm really excited. Um, but first, I want to ask you about your career, Sister Susie. So mashallah, you have several degrees in communications and family. And um, I wanted to know how you originally became interested in those topics. Right. So, um, so I, I think, first of all, Asma, I want to thank you because I do think the topic of balance is an important one, especially now as so many people are kind of struggling with balancing work and home um, during the pandemic and you know, working from home and kind of blurring the lines and the separation of trying to understand um, where work begins and, and where family begins and where work ends and, you know, how you can have healthy boundaries. Um, so to answer your questions, like in terms of like my own career path, I think, you know, for most of us, we set out on a certain path intending to go in a certain direction. Um, but uh, somehow with the twists and, and turns, Allah Azza wa Jal actually leads us to where we're supposed to be, even if it's very different than where we intended to be in, in the first place. Um, so starting out, uh, for me, um, I had entered into my undergrad years, like many, you know, Muslims, Arabs, uh, Southeast Asians, uh, with the expectation that I would be entering into a pre-med program. Um, so I was actually in a seven-year medical program um, at Rutgers University with the intention of, uh, you know, completing that path. Um, and, you know, my freshman year there, there was a, a bit of a glitch in my uh, schedule in which I had a course entitled Intro to Communication rather than the Intro to Biomedical Ethics I was supposed to be signed up for. Um, and this was the, the 90s, so it was pre-internet days. We had to go in person <laughs> to the registrar's office to you know, understand what was going on with our schedules. Um, and so when I went, I was told that the class I was supposed to have had been filled. And so they put me in this class and it would count as one of my core requirements and I could just kind of get through it. So I kind of huffed and puffed and I went into the course. Um, and I remember the first day in that lecture hall, I, you know, listened to the professor talking about how, you know, certain nonverbal cues indicated certain things, you know, how you could identify um, the level of investment in a relationship based on how people spoke to one another or the inflection in their voices or their tones. 
and I was absolutely fascinated. Um, so that was kind of the beginning, the turning point where I decided to uh, drop out of the program I had initially intended to enter um, to become a communication major. And again, it was a bit of a new major back in the 90s. Um, you know, when I would tell people that my major was communication, they would always kind of pause and be like, like talking, like that's what you study. Um, <laughs> but of course, it encompassed a lot more than that. Um, so I, I absolutely loved the field that I was studying. Um, I also studied uh, Middle Eastern studies and English. So I had a, a triple major as an undergrad and then kind of tracked right into the master's program um, where I studied intercultural and organizational communication. Um, and then I kind of slipped right into the PhD program also in communication. Um, and in that process, you know, I, uh, I had gotten married. I had my first child. Um, we took some time off. We spent a year uh, in Egypt, my husband and I, and my daughter when she was 10 months old. Um, I was uh, teaching there at the university, but we also had um, a, a sheikh who kind of helped us study Quran and Islam while we were there. Um, and then, you know, from there, upon returning, um, I thought I would pick up where I left off, you know, uh, continue with the PhD program. Um, in between that, I had done some corporate work, you know, some you know, kind of dabbled in a few things. I realized that being in academia, teaching at the university level was what I really loved. Um, and, uh, you know, through a series of hiccups and, and you know, certain, again, twists and turns, um, my uh, dissertation advisor was denied tenure when I was uh, on maternity leave, actually, with my second child, with my son. Um, and uh, upon trying to go back, I was told that I would have to scrap my research, kind of start again. Um, at that point, I had already kind of uh, uh, signed a contract with another university to teach. Um, and I thought, you know what, forget it. Like, I, I'm going to stop this journey here and, uh, and just move forward. Um, and then many, many, many years later, I uh, revisited uh, my PhD. Um, and now, alhamdulillah, I am completing, uh, just finished my, my full draft of my dissertation um, for a PhD in family studies and intervention strategies. Um, so yeah, so in the, in between, you know, a couple of books were born, um, along with babies, <laughs> and, you know, um, and, uh, you know, the, the work that I do now in Cornerstone, the nonprofit organization also began, um, and it was kind of born from a lot of the experiences that, uh, I went through in kind of the academic journey. Wow. Mashallah. Um, and you, you know, asked my next question for me because I was going to ask about Cornerstone. So what inspired you to start Cornerstone and how did you, you know, go about get, getting it started? So, um, you know, once my, my, I took my break from the initial doctoral program I was uh, journeying through, um, I began to uh, have some of the books that were based on the research that I had done in the program towards my dissertation. Um, those books were, were published um, and they were published in much more like layman's terms, which was uh, very different than the academic scope I had initially set off on. Um, and so one of my books that came out in 2012, which was Modern Muslim Marriage, um, was a book in which a lot of the message a lot of the organizations had wanted me to kind of teach as a premarital program. And so uh, we began kind of like a mobile marriage unit where I would just go from, you know, community to community, masjid to masjid, uh, teaching essentially a premarital education program. Um, and at that point, uh, we had a brother from Maryland who wanted to fund the process um, as a nonprofit organization. And so he began a program called the Center for Muslim Life, um, in which this, you know, premarital education program kind of operated under. 
Um, and that was in about 2012, I want to say. Um, by 2014, we realized that it wasn't enough just to provide the education. And at that point, we were also providing the support, uh, the compatibility counseling, um, the premarital uh, six-hour sessions of preparation. Um, but we realized we also needed to provide support for after marriage. And so the support that we wanted to offer was rooted in the communication work that I had kind of spent years studying and, and, and working on, which was a bit different than the traditional um, marriage therapy type of a program. And of course, it was connected very much so with the Islamic perspective. Um, so in 2014, we started offering more services because we realized it wasn't just about maintaining the couple's relationship, but it was also, you know, transitioning to having children. And then, you know, what happens when you have difficulty with the children and, um, you know, blended families. And so uh, in 2014, um, the Masjid, uh, MBIC Masjid actually had offered a space that they had purchased, the building they had purchased, and asked if they'd be willing to operate our social services out of that building. Um, so 2014, 2015, uh, Cornerstone was born um, and we uh, began to operate out of that building. We transformed the upstairs of the building into a transitional housing where people could stay there during difficult times in their life and receive the interventions uh, from Cornerstone. Um, and, you know, we kind of continued to grow. We started adding other offices, I believe, in 2015, 2016. We opened another, another office in East Brunswick. Then we opened one in, um, I believe it was Princeton was next, then in Piscataway, then um, a few other areas as well. And with each passing year, we kind of grew the services we were offering um, until 2016, when I had traveled overseas uh, to provide interventions for um, women and orphans um, through the Helping Hand organization at the camps in Jordan for Syrian refugees. Um, that's when, upon returning, um, the, uh, the UN had actually reached out to me. I had presented some information there asking if we could kind of utilize some of the strategies that we were using for faith-based intervention uh, services um, through Cornerstone for uh, resettled refugees. And that's when we opened our refugee division. Um, and we currently work with the different resettlement organizations to provide intervention programs for uh, resettled refugees uh, of all backgrounds, but they're all faith-based um, interventions. And in 2018, we became officially a nonprofit. Um, and by then, we had an office in England, an office in Canada, uh, offices uh, across the US, uh, as well as our original core five offices here in New Jersey. I find that to be so inspirational that Cornerstone just kind of started as, you know, at the top floor of a masajid and it spread all around the world and even getting involved with the United Nations. So mashallah, it's really awesome to see that as a young Muslim. Um, it shows that we can really do anything if we put our hard work into it. Um, just going back to, you know, your your life and your journey, your academic journey, you went to Egypt for a year. Um, and I think that's really significant because you were able to get an Islamic education along with your academic education. And often times it's hard to leave our homes you know leave our families um, go to a different country but it's an entirely new experience so if you could tell us more about you know how you decided to go and what it was like yeah, and you know subhanallah it was something that my husband and I had talked about quite a bit you know we had met in college actually in our freshman year Arabic class um, and <laughs> you know as we kind of went through our college years together um, and you know it was something we always talked about but we always talked about it as well you know after we're settled in our careers after you know our kids are older um, but the opportunity 
kind of just arose. Um, it had to do actually, it was linked to some of the research that I was doing in that first PhD program. Um, there was a university there that had reached out and was interested in um, you know, having me come over there. Um, my husband and his work at that time had the opportunity to take a leave of absence and be able to return to his work. Um, our little one was just about 10 months old. Um, my husband's family was thinking about going to Egypt for a little bit of time as well. So it, things just seemed to align. And um, we're like, why not? You know, why wait? Why put off something that we've always talked about wanting to do um, rather than kind of biting the bullet and, and doing it now. And of course there was like some hesitation as like, you know, my, my little one, you know, she's 10 months old and you know, how are we going to adjust and would it be okay? But subhanAllah, I think when you make the intention and you say, this is something that I truly want to do for the sake of Allah, Allah just opens pathways and it just kind of works. So MashaAllah, you know, I think one of the benefits of being able to get that Islamic education is that you're able to come at all the issues in your life and tackle them from an Islamic perspective. That's a goal that I have personally, you know, to become a lawyer, but to also be able to look at the issues in my life from an Islamic perspective, from a faith-based perspective. Um, so that's really, really great. Um, so now we are kind of getting into the meat of our podcast, talking about the art of balance. Uh, mashallah, you have Cornerstone, you are a professor, you're a public speaker, you also have, you know, your kids, your husband, your family, and also, you know, your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a practicing Muslim. So how do you balance all of that? How do you go about your, your day, you know, accomplishing in all fields of your life? So I think, again, it's like the perennial question that, that people will often ask, you know, like, how do you balance? How do you balance? Um, and I think, you know, first of all, a lot of the balancing act is very much reliant upon um, having that tawakkul, you know, having just a firm consciousness and belief that Allah Azza wa Jal is, you know, the one who knows what is better for us more than we know what's best for us, you know. So a lot of times when I think back to, you know, the my first PhD journey and, and how devastated I was when my dissertation advisor was denied tenure and, you know, the, the, the roadblocks that had come into place. But now, you know, I look back on it and I'm like, subhanAllah, that had to happen. For many reasons, you know, it had to happen for me to be able to write books that were not academic, you know, for me to be able to step away from the world of academia and go in the path that Allah Azza wa Jal truly had written for me. So I think a big part of balance is tawakkul, is just having that reliance upon Allah where you turn your, your affairs over to him. And along with that turning your affairs over to him, just constantly reminding yourself of, you know, what is your purpose? And I think there is, is no better way to balance the day just from a practical level um, other than by balancing your day around Salah. So if you know that you would like to accomplish certain, certain goals or certain, you have certain milestones that you like to reach, you know, making sure that, you know, you're, you're getting up for Fajr and maybe, you know, spending an hour after Fajr working on, um, I don't know, the great American novel you've always wanted to write, you know, and then, you know, making sure that around Salat al-Dhuhr, you're uh, preparing your um, meals for the rest of the day, for example, if you're health conscious and thinking about what to eat, and maybe at around Salat al-Asr time, you are ensuring that, you know, you're, you're spending time with each of your children, you're spending time with your spouse, you know, and, at, you know, and so on and so forth. And I think you realize that there becomes a great deal more barakah in the day when you 
kind of revolve your day, your relationships, your work, you know, what it is you want to accomplish around your salah. And that becomes the anchor for the days. And then, you know, if you've got a day where like suddenly, you know, you have one of those days where like, oh my goodness, where did the day go? Knowing that you can actually wake up for tahajjud at night and maybe around tahajjud time accomplish something that you didn't accomplish during the day. And there's just something very beautiful about anchoring everything in your day back to your salah. Wow, mashallah. Structuring your day around your salah is one of the best ways to kind of organize yourself. I've also found in my own like personal life. So that's definitely great, great advice. Um, and going back to, you know, spending time with all of your kids and spending time with your spouse. Um, a lot of people listening to this podcast, they definitely have marriage on their minds. You know, it's something that as young women and men reach a certain age, like, they start thinking about it, their parents start talking to them about it. So do you have any advice or tips? I know you wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> and um, you should definitely read it, Modern Muslim Marriage. Um, but do you have any advice for young Muslims who are kind of thinking about marriage or, or reaching that topic um, with their parents or their, their family? So I think, you know, not shying away from the topic of marriage is important because a lot of times, um, particularly today, we see this this feeling, you know, again, like you you can't have it all almost like a thing. You know, it's it's either my career or my family life. It's either, you know, I continue and complete, you know, degree X, Y, Z, or I get married and I have children. Um, and that polarity, I think it's, it's very damaging to our communities. It's damaging to our young men and women. It's damaging because it goes against the idea that really our marriages are meant to be partnerships. You know, they're meant to be areas of, uh, or relationships that are, you know, supposed to support our growth and support the ability to have that type of partnership as we're going through our journeys. You know, life doesn't stop once you get married. Um, chapters of your life don't have to stop just because you got married. Um, are there sometimes, you know, complications? Are there different ways of navigating life and, and marriage and studies and work and children? Yeah, you know, it, it does require a bit of creativity. But I think for the young woman or, you know, the young man who's considering marriage, I think, you know, one of the most important focuses to have at this point is really how well do you know yourself, you know, rather than turning all the focus on getting to know someone else, stopping and thinking, you know, do I know myself? Who am I? You know, what makes me tick? What do I find important? What can I compromise on? What will I never compromise on? Um, and the more you know yourself, the more equipped you'll be to enter into a partnership and a relationship rather than, you know, kind of focusing on, I need to know the other person. Right. Absolutely. And just to dig deeper a little bit into what you said, how do we get to know ourselves better? Because I feel like in this age of social media, we're constantly putting ourselves out there. But at the end of the day, when we self-reflect, we don't know the deep truths about our own selves. So do you have any suggestions for how a person can get to know themselves better? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it, it starts first and foremost with you can't know yourself if you don't know your creator. So knowing Allah Azza wa Jal and knowing Allah Azza wa Jal in knowing, for example, and truly understanding and living um, the 99 names of Allah Azza wa Jal, knowing, you know, what does it mean that Allah is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim? What does it mean that he is Al-Nur? What does it mean that he is Al-Qaram? And being able to understand those characteristics of Allah Azza wa Jal and trying to live 
those jalali traits, those, those jamali traits, excuse me, in your, your own life, that's a, a critical component of knowing yourself. Knowing yourself also means knowing your your role model, knowing the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa knowing his sunnah, knowing how you can incorporate the sunnah of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa in your life so that you can be the best person that you can be. You know, knowing yourself means knowing the Quran, knowing what that guide is that is meant to really help us navigate through the ups and the downs of life. And so when you shift the knowing yourself rather than, you know, again, we live in a in a time where it's all about self-care and it's all about, you know, um, knowing yourself maybe in almost like what feels sometimes like a superficial sense. But really knowing yourself means knowing your deen, knowing what makes you tick, knowing what motivates you, what moves you forward. The more you know that, the more you'll know yourself. You know, I never thought about it that way, but as you said it, the puzzle piece is really fit for me, you know, getting to know your creator um, through the Prophet ﷺ and the Quran is a really great way to get to know yourself. So definitely for sure. Um, thank you so much, Sister Susie, for sharing your experience and sharing your advice. Um, I definitely learned a lot about balancing my own life, and I'm sure that a lot of other Muslimas listening did too. Um, any last words of advice to a young Muslimah? Yeah, I would just say, you know, don't get sucked into the Western narrative of either or. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think today feminism has been co-opted um, from something that's that's very beautiful, which is having those equal rights as a woman, knowing your place and knowing, you know, how Allah has bestowed upon you um, those rights. And it's been co-opted into something that unfortunately can sometimes look a bit misogynistic, can look a bit like, you know, a, a negative perspective. So I would say don't get sucked into the either or um, and instead embrace the fact that we have the most beautiful ex- of examples in our deen, the example of Khadija anha, of Aisha anha, of Fatima anha, and of the companions, you know, uh, the, the companions like Ashifa' bint Abdullah, um, the companions like Nusayba, the companions who, you know, are women who were strong, who were articulate, who had careers, who had families, who raised children, and who still kept first and foremost in in their focus that love of Allah and that seeking the pleasure of Allah. And if you do that, then everything else falls into place. Marriage falls into place. Career falls into place. You know, just keep doing your intentions. um, And inshallah, that that path is going to find you, you know, with you putting in the effort, but also having that tawakkul. Thank you so much, Sister Susie, for sharing your knowledge and your experiences with us. Um, And thank you for listening. Um, We will see you all next week, inshallah, for a new episode of Muslimah.